<clears throat> Welcome to another look. It's good to be together again as we uh, go deeper into the last week of Jesus' life or Holy Week. It's always a little strange to say the last week of Jesus' life since, of course, he comes back to life on Easter morning and uh, spends 40 days with his disciples before ascending into heaven and, of course, remains alive at the right hand of God. But his last uh, week uh, certainly holds a lot of events. And uh, tonight we're going to dig a little deeper into the passages that get referred to uh, in our text this morning. In particular, um, the phrase, House of Prayer for All Nations, uh, Den of Robbers, and uh, the reference to the fig tree. So uh, we're going to need our Bibles open to Isaiah 56, Jeremiah 7, and Jeremiah 8. So Isaiah 56, Jeremiah 7, and Jeremiah 8, and uh, we'll look at those together. So, of course, in the context, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. He has been uh, ushered in by the crowds the day before. Uh, it, on Sunday, on Palm Sunday, he's been welcomed in. He, the crowd anticipates that he's going to be crowned king. The parade takes him all the way through the city streets of Jerusalem and into uh, the temple court. And he kind of hits pause. He looks around and he heads back out, which is kind of an anticlimactic thing for the crowds. However, uh, it's not Jesus drawing attention to himself. And so the next day, Jesus comes back in. And as he comes back in, he uh, starts turning over tables and uh, trying to, and to, uh, to stop some of the commerce. And he says... Uh, this is a house of prayer. Why are you treating it like a den of robbers? As we noted, uh, this uh, action from Jesus is paired with his uh, curse of the fig tree. The house of prayer reference is from Isaiah chapter 56. And there uh, the prophet Isaiah, who is uh, writing to Israel saying, you got to turn. you got to focus on uh, God. You've got to let go of false religion. You've got to stop trusting in foreign powers. You need to focus on putting your hope and your trust in uh, God alone. And uh, the people of Israel are sort of in the middle of being under Assyrian rule. A lot of them haven't yet been hauled away, but there is a concern there. And Isaiah writes, let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And so uh, already in the prophet Isaiah, we hear this echo of God's people are not just Israelites, not just Jewish. God's people are those who love him, who fear him, who obey his commandments. And uh, the prophet goes on in um, verse 4. This is what the Lord said to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and will not cut them off. 
the foreigner who binds themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, to worship him, who will keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who will hold fast to the covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on the altar, for my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. The trajectory that Isaiah lays out for the people of God is that what he is wanting from them is a heart of worship, not a heart just focused on the external activity of religion. It's not just about going to the temple. It's not just about offering the correct sacrifice. It's not just about getting the offering amount right. It's not just about following the rules of the Sabbath. It is about a life and a heart that wants to worship and please God. And God will be pleased by anyone who pursues that path. And there should not be anything that gets in the way of someone who wants to be in relationship with the Father uh, being able to do that. And so when Jesus enters into the temple, there's a sense in which this building, because it is focused on being the place for Israel, it's gotten in the way. And it's uh, some of the commerce, some of the extra trappings, some of the animals and all these other things, they have become the focal point instead of helping people, whether they're born Jew or Gentile, be connected to their creator. Second text, Jeremiah 7. The context is that the people are putting their trust in the temple. This is already happening way back in Jerusalem. Uh, they are imagining that because they are the people of God and have the temple at the center of their city, nothing bad is going to happen to them. It's almost like the people of God see the temple as a ring camera or as an ADT system or as a weapon that they put under their seat. It is the thing which will keep them from any attack or harm. Now, I want to be clear. A ring system or ADT or a firearm under your seat, those aren't evil or wrong. That's not the point of this. But Israel had begun to see that their protection was not so much God, the ability to worship him in spirit and in truth wasn't about the presence of the temple, or the way in which God had drawn it near, but this building, the presence of this external structure was going to be the thing, the item that saved them, not the God they worshipped. Jeremiah 7. This is what the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord. For if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and you do not shed innocent blood, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you. But I have been watching, declares the Lord. 
The prophet Jeremiah aims right at the center of the Israelite heart and says, you are no longer treating this temple, this place of worship as a way to be connected to God, as a place of worship to please him and to express your obedience to him. This has become a rabbit's foot. It has become a good luck charm. It has become uh, your piece of identity. And because of that, the, the leaders, the people who are there, have, be, have turned it, because it's become their thing, their idol, they're going to do whatever it takes to safeguard it. And so they have helped put in place a system which uh, allowed them to have power over the temple and over its use. And so it wasn't about worship. It wasn't about God. Uh, it was about this place. And Jeremiah goes on into chapter 8, and he starts calling different people to account. He says, uh, For they have healed the hurt of my daughter, slightly saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. And so the prophet Jeremiah is proclaiming that God is holding people to account in saying that, hey, there's nothing wrong here. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they weren't ashamed. They didn't know how to blush. Therefore, they will fall where others fall. They shall be cast down and I will consume them, declares the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, no figs on the fig tree. The leaf shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. And so Jesus in the temple declares very clearly, this is the issue going on in the day of Isaiah and in the day of Jeremiah. And these things are going to be taken away. The temple is going to be destroyed. The practices of sacrifice and offering are going to be uh, done away with because the people will be in exile. And that, of course, happened. And so when Jesus says this, he is reminding the people of these things that have been said before and were true then. And he is saying to the people or to the disciples, excuse me, with the fig tree, the cursing of the fig tree, and the leaf that was good but is now withered, uh, no fruit. But these things that I have given to the people are going to pass away. The place, the temple, where they found hope is going to be destroyed. That the practices that helped them get connected to me, they're going to be done away with. And instead of God saying, hey, you're on your own, what Jesus is really saying is that I am going to be the peace that passes all understanding. I am going to be the one true sacrifice. I am going to be the great high priest. I am going to be the temple, the way in which God himself dwells within you. Uh, I, uh, when the, the, the Son of Man comes, as John says in chapter 1, uh, Apostle John, chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. He becomes the space in which the presence of God is with his people. And so while God is 
disrupting and uh, destroying these old things. He is not abandoning his people, but giving them something even better, and that is himself. And so these texts uh, help us see that this is what happened in the day of Isaiah and Jeremiah and anticipated uh, the person of Jesus Christ coming to, to fulfill those in their entirety. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way in which the Old Testament sets us up to understand the full scope of what you accomplish for us and what you have accomplished for your people, what you have done and how you have done it. Forgive us when we forget that our the one uh, way that we have is uh, your Son, our Savior, that our only hope and security is found in you alone. And may we not ever put anything up that would get in the way of uh, your, uh, of the nations, of all the ethnicities coming to know and love you too. In Christ's name, amen.